Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the program. Pete Callender here. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. The phone numbers are 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Uh, the email is Pete at the thepetecallendershow.com. You can also uh, join me on Twitter you know, and until the whole thing collapses, at Pete Callender. Um So yesterday we uh, went over uh, the... You know, the latest uh, installment of the Twitter files. And that's where we learned that basically Twitter is a subsidiary or was a subsidiary of the FBI. Mm -hmm. All right. And today we uh, we get the latest installment that actually dropped yesterday by Michael Schellenberger. This is now the seventh uh, installment of the Twitter files. Uh huh. And uh, today we learn how the FBI censored the Hunter Biden laptop story. The details of how that went down. Yes. And uh, also, you know, I mean, that was a story that was obviously for the direct benefit of a political candidate, Joe Biden. That's whose purpose the burying of that story served. Right. That was. That was not done to help. Uh. Donald Trump burying the story helps Joe Biden. Also, with the details that came out yesterday, and this is like I've I've not covered every single installment of these. Uh, uh, see, I don't even want to call it that now. If I say it, then the music starts playing, and so if I say you know the latest, right? So anyway, so the the I have not covered every one of the installments, every one of the parts. But as more and more starts coming out, I covered the first one, a couple of the ones that followed, not really, to me at least, it wasn't groundbreaking, shocking, stunning information. But the last two are very disturbing to me. And I can assure you, if they are disturbing to you, you are not alone. The lack of media attention to the story is a form of gaslighting, it's a lie. That the story is not newsworthy. And there are a couple reasons for this. There are the, you know, the, the, the defenders of the gatekeepers, essentially, right? The, the media folks who work in newsrooms and they're like, you shouldn't attack us. You guys just hate all media. We're just doing our jobs and trying to under difficult circumstances. And you guys just think we're biased on everything. So there's that crowd. And then there's another crowd, particularly the national folks. National media operations, whose job it is to cover these very stories, particularly, and I'm going to, I'm going to identify a couple right now, which, McClatchy. Where is McClatchy on this? Last night, I went through, because the, the latest installment of the uh, Twitter files dropped, and the, see, what happens. All right. So last night, the the latest installment drops, and these were written by Michael Schellenberger. Michael Schellenberger is the author of San Francisco, Apocalypse Never, a good researcher. Sometimes, like he gets a little overboard with the uh, with the numbers when you read his. I was reading. I'm reading San Francisco, and like the first half of the book is just data. It's just a whole bunch of numbers, just boom, 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 and. And now I'm halfway through it, and so now he's starting to get into sort of larger policy uh, issues, which I prefer. But 
The date is important, don't get me wrong, but he did a fantastic job outlining the process by which the FBI essentially primed Twitter to see the Hunter Biden story as a campaign from Russia state propaganda uh, propagandists. And they did this in a number of ways. The most blatant was sort of a... Uh, um, I don't want to say a war game, but essentially it's what it was. They, they gained out a scenario with the media. And they constructed this entire elaborate, quote, Russia state propaganda hoax, right, to try to influence our elections. They did this big thing in September of 2020. And they had all the major media companies there. And they outline, he's, and he's got, those, he's got the documents here from, from the agenda, the Aspen Digital Hack and dump working group. Hack and dump is the tactic that the FBI is saying this is what the Russians are going to do. They're going to hack into someone's system, their emails or whatever, and then they're going to dump them in order to try to create chaos and influence the election and get, you know, Donald Trump president because, you know, he's Putin's puppet after all, which was also the lie that was amplified by media and leaked to them by malicious actors inside the Democratic Party their cutout law firm, Perkins and Cooey, and the FBI and our intelligence community. In 2020, piggybacking off of the lie told in 2016 with the Russian Alpha Bank, I'm not going to go back all, uh, all into that again, covered it yesterday. And as we were doing that yesterday, Schellenberger dumps the latest round in the Twitter files. And in doing so, and in doing so, you see how they constructed this narrative that Twitter bought into. And here's the thing. How come nobody is reporting it? How come nobody's covering this? This is a huge story. You know why? Because Twitter's not the only one. Facebook was working with the FBI. Imagine what Google's doing. Imagine what Amazon is doing, right? They control the freaking backbone of the Internet. Do you think they're not playing ball? Why aren't these outlets, NBC, ABC, uh, CBS, um, MSNBC, of course, yeah, I mean, but why aren't they interested? The Associated Press, McClatchy, Gannett, where where are these guys looking into whether or not, because here's the, this is what the, the latest dump indicates, is that it's not simply just flagging accounts now. Right. It, it's planting stories and it's paying Twitter. And it's creating back channels in order to keep certain stories suppressed. Stories that hurt one political party, apparently, or at least one family. One family. Because you cannot talk about today, uh, yesterday's release, the latest installment. You can't talk about that without talking about the actual scandal of the Hunter Biden laptop and what it is actually about. And no, for all the leftists who are so hyper-focused on genitalia, I got to tell you guys, it's not all about Hunter Biden's junk. It's actually nothing to do with that. I know you guys like, oh my gosh, there's a picture and you can see. I wasn't even aware of that. But apparently people on the left, this is how they're dismissing it. They're accusing you of that which they are guilty, right? They're trying to make you the perv by not even... You've not noticed that. That's not part of the story. The story is the influence 
the influence peddling. How does a guy with no background in international finance just so happen to start a company as his father is vice president and just so happens to do business with Russia and China while his dad is VP and he's hitching rides on Air Force Two? Oh, and tens of millions of dollars are flowing to him and to the family. And we know that they commingle funds inside the Biden family. This is all known. And the media is not, in the very least, suspicious of it. It doesn't matter to them, apparently. And yes, there's a political side of that, the political motivation, the bias side. But there's also a more sinister explanation as well. Which is that maybe they're part of it too. Right? Maybe they've been having roundtable games with the FBI as well. And they fell for it all too. But it served a purpose that they liked, and so they went along with it, I guess. You remember the Frank Church, uh, the Senator Frank Church, the church committee? It goes back 40 years. Very, very relevant right now. My favorite Christmas song. God rest you. Every gentleman, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born upon this day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. God, our Heavenly Father, this blessed angel came And unto certain shepherds brought tidings of the same How that in Bethlehem was born the Son of God by name Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy Oh, tidings of comfort and joy All right, so this is the problem. Is I'll just sit here and listen to these songs. All right, go ahead, fall down. All right, News Talk 1110-993 WBT. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you. I, uh, programming note, I'm here all week. Try the veal. And I'm not here next week. So uh, you're going to have to get your fill this week. But luckily for us, they keep putting out more and more of these internal documents from Twitter after Elon Musk bought what is essentially an FBI cutout an FBI subsidiary, and um, by the way, uh, well, uh, I got a lot of different pieces here, so some touchstones back to yesterday, but more importantly, here is a, there's a woman named Catherine Brodsky, and I'm going to go over the actual uh, files that were dumped today, or I should say yesterday, but I'm covering today. So Catherine Brodsky, she's a writer for Wired Magazine, Mashable, Variety, Newsweek, Esquire, The Washington Post. Okay, so she's not exactly a big right-winger. In fact, she says, I'm not convinced that the Hunter Biden laptop story would have changed the election outcome. Okay, I disagree with her on that. But she says, it doesn't matter what the story being suppressed by the FBI was. 
The FBI should not be in the business of suppressing people's speech, especially speech that they knew 100% to be true. She said the latest drop is stunning to me. The FBI's pressure on Twitter is unbelievable. Why was the FBI pressuring the censorship of a story that they knew to be true? Oh, she's so close to getting it. (laughs) She's right there. Why ever would they do that? Why would they do such a thing? They knew it was a correct story. Every fact printed in that New York Post article was accurate, was correct. Why would they suppress such a story? They knew it was true. Right. So they did it for some reason. And the most obvious reason, let's all play Occam's razor, right? Most obvious reason to help Joe Biden get elected and to get Donald Trump out. Right? For all the talk about insurrection and coup d'etat, um, does this not, does this not, I don't know, register on the scale at all? There's another uh, fella on the Twitter machine named Nash Vegas. He's, I believe he's out of Nashville. And um, he says, the idea that the media is not running to Facebook and Google to comment and explain their relationship with the FBI tells you all you need to know. Exactly. The lack of interest by corporate media of this story is indicative of their judgment on news. If not, I mean, at least, if not at worst, an indication that they are concerned about connections that they may have had coming to light. So yesterday, after I read through the, uh, the tweets from Michael Schellenberger, um, I went over and took a look on the Twitter feeds of the Raleigh News and Observer and the Charlotte Observer. Right. These are the papers in the biggest markets in North Carolina. And, you know, they use Twitter to amplify their reach, to spread their stories, get people to click the links. Right. They don't. I mean, it's just an advertising platform. So you would think if there are stories that they want people to click on, they would tweet them out. And so I went and looked up there uh, along with WRAL and none of them have any links on. They have no tweets about. Any of the uh, the Twitter files. None of them. Not a single tweet. So I went over to the Charlotte Observer, where I actually have access to their stories, their uh, to their website, and I I started looking up like, okay, well, have you actually done any stories? And they have. They just haven't amplified them. So what are the stories that they have done? Well, let's see. Here's the uh, first one. Republicans doubled down on FBI criticism after latest Twitter files report. Number two, Elon Musk targets the FBI as Twitter files saga continues. That was from like four days ago. Also four days ago, Twitter files fuel House GOP probes censorship claims. And then uh, from like 10 days ago, Trump still would have lost despite Twitter's election interference, says Elon Musk. Okay, so those are the four stories. So I read them, and they all comply with Pete's rules for journalisming. Journalisming rule number two, when the scandal is about a Democrat, the story is the Republican response to that scandal. Right, That's the rule for journalismers. 
if the story, if the if the scandal is about a Republican, then the story is the scandal. But if the scandal is about a, a Democrat, then your story is about the Republican reaction, and that's what all these are: the Republican reaction to the scandal. And by the way, yes, Republicans are pouncing when they are not seizing, and sometimes they're pouncing and seizing at the same time. That's also one of the rules of journalism. You must always frame them as pouncing and seizing. It's it's the way. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Uh, let me get right to it here. We've got, well, all right, hang on a second. I was going to get back to the, I was going to go and start doing the files, but let me, uh, let me just wrap up this thing with McClatchy. So I read through their website. They got four stories, all of them framed through the Republicans pounce narrative because the scandal is about a Democrat. Um, and you know, the rule journalism rule number two, when a scandal is about a Republican, the story is the scandal. When the scan, uh, scandal is about a Democrat, the story is about the Republican reaction to that scandal. And journalism rule number three, when characterizing the Republican reaction to a Democratic scandal, the first reference should be either seized on or pounced. And then the second reference should be the term not used in the first reference. Right. So you got to use both of them, seizing and pouncing. And uh and so those are your first, uh, well, actually, it's rule number two and three. Rule number one is some say is the preferred way to introduce an opinion into a story. Uh, yeah, I have a whole, I got 20 of them. Uh, anyway, so I, I point this out on uh, the Twitter machine that McClatchy has done Twitter files uh, stories. They have done these stories, but did no amplification of them on Twitter. Okay, so um, three of the four Republicans pounce, I said, uh, and then I got a response, which I always love getting responses, particularly from people in media like Paul Wolverton. He's a reporter guy uh, for uh, the Fayetteville Observer, part of the USA Today Network. I did not search them, although I might do that today after work. Anyway, um, he said the four articles you cite were republished from Newsweek and from The Hill. They were not written by McClatchy's staff. And he is correct about that. McClatchy did not do any stories themselves. McClatchy has national reporters, but they did not do any stories themselves on any of the, or this, at least the, the most shocking, the, the last two installments here. They haven't done anything. So they farmed it out to Newsweek and The Hill in order to get a story on their website. And the stories are, you know, Republicans pounce. And so he says, how often do McClatchy outlets tweet articles that are not created or produced by their own staff. And I said, that's fair, not, not very many. But they have a national staff. Also, over the past two days, I did go through, look back uh, over the Charlotte Observer's Twitter feed to see what, what stories they thought were newsworthy. I'm not sure you're aware of this or not, but the Observer has basically become like a sports newspaper. Have you seen this recently? That's like all they do is just sports coverage. It's all over the place. It's lots. I mean, they do it well, I guess. I don't read the sports section, so it's I don't read much of the Observer anymore. But um, it's a lot, a lot of their tweets are about sports. 
high school sports, college sports, a lot of high school like nominations for players of the year, I guess, because it's the end of the year. So they've been sending out a lot of local sports-related uh, tweets, no doubt about it. But I looked at the ones that were from non-McClatchy national-type stories uh, or McClatchy national stories. Okay? So you look, to, just start scrolling through, see what the stories are, and lo and behold... They got a big story that they tweeted out about a really big snake in Florida. Uh, they, they amplified that story. They amplified a story about a polygamist that got dumped by a couple of his sister wives. Or these sister wives? Not his sister. Anyway. Yeah, a couple of them have left. I don't know if he's a famous polygamist, like he's a TV show polygamist or something. But whatever, they, they did a story on that, amplified it out on Twitter. Uh, they had an amplification of a story in their paper from Pennsylvania about a murder up there. Uh, not really sure why. North Carolinians needed to see that, but whatever. Um, Oh, they had a very helpful article. They uh, amplified that they did not write themselves on uh, how to order Christmas punch at Starbucks. That's newsworthy. That is the thing we need to know. They, uh, oh, nationally, they did promote a story that's kind of related, or not even a story. It was just a cartoon that came from the Sacramento Bee, one of their McClatchy papers, and it uh, it was a Donald Trump NFT trading card uh, political cartoon mockery. So they retweeted that for their Charlotte Observer audience locally. Uh, there was a fight about Taco Bell and uh, a mountain lion in California. So those were the stories that they amplified that were of national importance on their Twitter stream that they either did not write themselves, because some of those were written by the street, and some of them came from other McClatchy newspapers. What else? Oh, McClatchy does not devote really any resources to cover the story. So it makes sense, actually, that they would not care to amplify this story. They're not spending any time on it. They don't think it's newsworthy. And by that, I mean they don't think you should know about it. That's the deal. They don't think you should know about it. They have determined as gatekeepers of the truth, capital T, the truth, that you should not know about the actual contents of the vice president's laptop that indicate pretty clearly that he was doing business with Russians and Chinese government officials while his dad was vice president. Oh, and that his dad knew. The elements for an investigation exist. Why hasn't anybody in media pursued them? As such, why isn't there a clamoring for a defense of these these actions, these practices? What does it have something to do with the uh, the Aspen? What was it? The Aspen Institute was it Institute the Aspen Digital Hack and Dump Working Group from September 2020. Have something to do with that? Because I've got the agenda here, all like seven days, or sorry, eleven days, eleven days. The organizer was Vivian Schiller the former CEO of NPR, so I guess WFAE is probably not going to do anything on this, maybe, Um, former head of news at Twitter, the former general manager of the New York Times, the former chief digital officer of NBC News. Attendees included Meta, or Facebook's, head of security policy, and top national security reporters for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and others. So the usual suspects. You know what this, uh, the exercise was called at this uh, hack and dump working group? 
The exercise was called the Barisma Leak. And they outline day by day sort of these news events that occur. And so they the whole point is to kind of is to war game out or game out the response that media companies should do, could do, what happens when you make certain decisions, right? They're they're gaming it all out. And it starts with an anonymous website, bidencrimes.info, and a Twitter account, Hunter LOLZ. And they begin posting documents that purport to be from Burisma tied to Hunter Biden. This is September 2020. They literally did a game exercise on the Hunter Biden laptop. The FBI did. They literally did this. And they knew about the laptop because they had it for almost a year when they did this. And they knew it was about to be published. We also know that from the, uh, the correspondence. This is the thing Schellenberger does very well. The TikTok, the chronology. December 2019 is when the Delaware computer store owner contacts the FBI. They issue a subpoena and they take the laptop. Nine months go by. He hasn't heard back from the FBI, even though he had discovered evidence of criminal activity. So he sends an email to Rudy Giuliani, who was under FBI surveillance at the time. So, yeah, they probably knew that he had contacted Rudy. In early October, Giuliani gives it to the New York Post. October 13th, 7 p.m., Hunter Biden's lawyer emails the computer guy. Two hours after that, FBI special agent... Elvis Chan sends 10 documents to Twitter's then head of site integrity, Yoel Roth, through a one-way communications channel from the FBI to Twitter. It's called Teleporter. And then the next day, the New York Post runs the story. I'm sure that's just a coincidence, right? That the day, that two hours after Hunter Biden's lawyer talks to the computer store guy, two hours after that, the FBI agent that's been flagging, that's been the, 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 the conduit and been flagging accounts for Twitter to censor, that guy sends all of this info to Twitter? That's a coincidence? That he finds out about it just within two hours at 9.22 p.m. Eastern Time or 6.22 uh, Pacific? Because he's based in San Francisco with Twitter. I'm sure it's just a coincidence. Newstalk 1110-993-WBT. Let's get to... Well, I'll tell you what. I, I, I think I'm going to start the next hour, and I'll run through Michael Schellenberg's latest... Uh, the dump of the installment number seven of the Twitter files. I will do that next hour. Okay. I will do that next hour uh, just to keep it all nice and tidy for the podcast purposes, you know, so people who are listening to the podcast, it'll be hour number two, and it'll just be... The whole thing. so Because we break up all of our podcast. We break up the show into three different podcasts. So they're easily digestible. That's what I strive to be. Easily digestible. So uh, I just saw this, though. Elon Musk went over to Twitter about two hours ago. And one of the things that we learned in this latest uh, installment was that 
The FBI paid Twitter. So you paid Twitter. I paid Twitter. We paid Twitter. Millions of dollars, actually. We paid the, the company millions of dollars. Not really sure what what we were paying for. I guess a good relationship. <laughs> is, that what, is that how that works? When you love somebody, you want, it's like a gift card at Christmas. You know, you love them, but you just don't really know what to get them. So here, just take, you know, three and a half million dollars. I mean, it wasn't even our money. It's like a re-gift. Okay. It's like, we got this. We don't want it. We don't use it. We just give it to you. So Elon goes on to Twitter. He says, government paid Twitter millions of dollars to censor info from the public. And then he tags the uh, outgoing chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Representative Adam Schiff for Brains. And uh, he said, did you approve hidden censorship in direct violation of the Constitution of the United States? Because this is one of the things, and by the way, the insufferable Tom Nichols is like, that's not how this works. He's an expert on everything. Anyway, um, this was a month ago. Take a listen. This was a month ago. Let me get the audio ready. Um, Yeah, here it is. FBI Director Christopher Wray is being questioned by Rand Paul. Companies are referring information to the FBI with investigative value relating to foreign malign influence. Now, there'd probably be a great deal more tolerance about that if it's foreign malign influence. But the question is, are you also receiving information on so-called domestic? But what, what would that mean? Is someone questioning whether paper ballots are an accurate way of running election? Is that good enough for you to be getting our private information because we have a political beef with the way votes are counted? or recorded in our country, is that something that you're collecting information on? Are, you, are they giving you information on private things that you've told them, well, we, people who question the election, we want, we want to hear about these people, and so then they're giving you this information. Are you receiving information? I'll like give that? you two classic examples that I think happen with some frequency. One, if we supply information to, say, Facebook or any number of other technology companies about foreign accounts, Russian intelligence service, for example, accounts, they, when they then look in their system for those accounts, they often find other accounts related to those and they provide tips and leads back to us about those. That's one example. A second would be a situation where a technology company encounters a threat of violence on their platform, on their services, and they provide tips and leads to us and we follow up on Okay, how about jokes? How about jokes? Because that's what you guys were flagging with your 80 agents, right? Sending them to the uh, Twitter people to, to suspend, take down. Jokes. What about those? You didn't, that's not a classic example, I guess, for the director? And there's probably not a lot of disagreement about that. The question is, is when we start to talk about political speech, and that is the question, are you receiving things that could be interpreted? And we'd want to know, and if you're not going to admit to us, whether it's political speech, someone who questions the election, you know, someone who uh, is, is mad about something that, uh, that is going on, but it's not saying they're directly going to commit violence, 
They're mad about things. What the New York Post article said is, yes, you're getting this. And then when they're finally read in context, and this is from a whistleblower, which makes us suspect you're not being forthcoming or honest with us, is that whistleblowers are saying you are receiving this information from Facebook and others, and that you are going around the Constitution then to come back and try to get warrants for it. But then once you read it, there's been no actionable intelligence on this. But this is an active program that you've got. You thank work for the government. You. you should admit to us whether or not you have a program going after our speech. Thank you, Senator we, Paul. We investigate violence, not speech. Okay. This comes up in the latest dump. At the very end, forty-seven uh, uh, tweet number 47. The pressure from the FBI on social media platforms continues. In August of 2022, Twitter executives prepared for a meeting with the FBI whose goal was to, quote, convince us, so Twitter, to convince us to produce on more FBI EDRs. EDRs are emergency disclosure requests. What are those? They are warrantless searches. That's what they are. They repeatedly emphasized Twitter's lower level. The FBI said, Twitter, you got a low level of compliance in comparison with other platforms, which is what you just heard Rand Paul cite from the whistleblowers that he has spoken with, right? Or that were in the New York Post article. Twitter said they emphasized back to the FBI that repeat and stressed that to our team, it's not going to be a good strategy to move the needle in their direction if you keep, you know, stressing this. We need more, we need more EDRs. And they said, I get the feeling they are genuinely baffled and frustrated that their quote rate of success is so low at Twitter. What does that mean? It means that the others are worse. And media doesn't care. 